Hello and welcome to Women of the Middle East podcast. Women of the Middle East. This podcast relates the realities of Arab women and their rich and diverse experiences. It aims to present the multiplicity of their voices and wishes to break overdue cultural stereotypes about women of the Middle East. My name is Amal Malki. I'm a feminist, scholar, and educator. This is season three, Conversations with Young Feminists. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. Hello and welcome to episode two of series three, Conversations with Young Feminists. This episode's feminist is one that is a fierce fighter and a vocal anti-racist activist. Racism is not an easy topic to talk about, yet a very important one. Just like with the Me Too movement in 2018 that started from the United States then became global, Black Lives Matter of 2020 has also reached the shores of consciousness of many nations where race and racism weren't previously discussed, at least not overtly. The Black Lives Matter campaign that calls for the end of systematic racial discrimination has led to two parallel movements of solidarity across the Middle East and North Africa region. One of these two movements sympathized and condemned the practice, but claimed that it is a Western problem that doesn't exist in Arab and Muslim countries because these countries are dictated by the Islamic doctrine, which is based on equality and justice. The second movement is a realist one that declared that racism is pervasive in the MENA region just as it is in the rest of the world and carries the historical baggage of slavery. And this movement called for exposing all practices of racial discrimination as a first step towards addressing the problem. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. I would like to touch upon the role that social media, as it has always been in a double-edged weapon, it has certainly amplified the marginalized communities' voices, among which is the black communities, by giving them a global platform and a global audience to expose the injustices and discrimination they face. But it also gives a space to racism and discrimination to be carried out, repeated and circulated. As an observer of recurrent and top discussions pertaining to social justice, I've noticed for an example that an overdue discussion about racism in our part of the world was initiated by the younger generation, which resonated with celebrities and social media influencers, but with little participation from the intelligentsia. The reaction, of course, oscillated between proponents who called for exposing racial discrimination practices and called for legislative changes and social activism to change the people's mindset, and between opponents who exercised denial as well as anger, exactly what Robin D'Angelo coined and described as white fragility. This episode's guest is Khawla Kisiksi, she is an anti-racist activist and an intersectional feminist. In January 2020, she co-founded the collective Voices of Black Tunisian Women, which offers them a safe space for self-expression. It is the first initiative that addresses issues affecting black women and gives voice to their experiences and promotes research about their social conditions. 
She has a lot to say about her personal experience as a black Tunisian and her collective movement. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. Since I came across your profile, I've been looking forward to meeting you. I'm really, really happy to have you in this series, which is the third series of Women of the Middle East podcast, uh, Conversations with Young Feminists. Uh, tell us about yourself and your work. First of all, thank you for the invitation and for your interest. In fact, uh, working on racism and on feminism in Tunisia, I started just after the revolution in 2012. I joined an association that was called the Nanti, and I was really young back then and I didn't have many tools or I didn't understand the topic well, but I had this feeling that I have to do something about it. So I started with this association and um, we had many projects on raising awareness because back then uh, we were in fact facing the denial of the society because um, when we started talking about racism in Tunisia we didn't find like, people supporting us but uh, everyone was telling, uh, was telling us that we are um, crazy, that we are uh, inventing things. And so uh, basically our five first years were, uh, were focused on raising awareness and just proving to society that it really exists. So it was really exhausting in the beginning, but it it was worthy because uh, when I look back to the time then and when I try to to uh, to compare the situations, I think that we had a huge progress on this uh, topic. So, um, so uh, at 2018, uh, we had the law against all kinds of discrimination and racial discrimination in Tunisia, which was a huge success for civil society and then we started to think that we have to have more than one association and to have to focus on on this topic and we have to merge our work and to to move from raising awareness and advocacy to something uh, more particular and we thought about having this collective black of uh, voice of black Tunisian women. So I co-founded this collective and uh, we basically work uh, on empowering black women. Uh, it started with, uh, with giving a safe space for black women to talk about our issues, about hypersexualization, about uh, harassment, about stigmatization, about our image and our place in the society. and. And it was really hard in the beginning, to be honest, because we are not we are not used to speak up and to speak loudly and to abort our problems. So in the beginning, we didn't speak. We were really scared and we didn't have the courage to speak up. But then these dynamics uh, were uh, ch changed and we were really, really um, uh, interactive and it developed so uh, after uh, having the safe space we tried to have some activities where we give the space to black women so it was on two, in two fields 
the one field was the knowledge production so we have we were writing articles and we are now making videos about our situation about our um, issues and about our alternative that we pose uh, to the to the government and to the society and on the other hand we had many many uh, virtual activities like healing circles and uh, webinars where we discussed about our issue uh, our issues either so and now we are thinking about having another project like a technical project where we empower the the black woman in the south of tunisia this is women of the middle east podcast amazing um such achievements in such a short time you told me you began your activism very early and you were much younger but what was your point of departure and what can you share with us personally that made you go publicly on ma- on a matter that was long buried it's a stigma to even talk about the ills of the society let alone the marginalization of a sector of nationals in that country that don't feel a part of that uh, social fabric what what was the personal point of departure for you in fact uh, before uh, before i started my activism i was also in denial I was uh, creating my coping mechanism and my defense mechanism and I always say that uh, people are, are racist in Tunisia but I don't care and they don't affect me and they don't affect my life and I'm strong and all of this discourse that we build to protect ourselves but um, I had a personal story where uh, I couldn't Uh, get engaged with the white man because I was black and at that moment I realized that it's not just words that we hear in the street it's something that can change your life that can affect you personally that can make you really sad and really marginalized and I started talking with other people because we don't talk about this subject and even if we face racism every day even even among black people we don't talk about racism so i started to abroad my friends and my family and to talk about um, this issue and then i i i realized that racism can take your job can take your mental, mental health can take can attack you physically and it's not just words that we hear in the street when we walk and it's not something that we can avoid and then after that i started to realize that it's systemic that it's that the, the state is racist and the society is racist and it's 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 bigger than i thought and with the years uh, every time and every year and with the, every development in my personality i, I re- realize how deep and how big is, is the problem and then i realize that we have to do a lot to face it because it's so old to to be clear it's so old it's everywhere it's in all the areas so i think it's it's very important for us to, to realize that we are breathing the, the racism so we have to face it really strongly and we have to have many ways to face it because it's everywhere and uh, since i 
I integrated the circle of activists. I started to develop my ideas and to have my new conception of the club. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. The problem is deep-rooted, as you said, and the problem with um, our culture and our society is that they, they built it within the culture that you inherit that sense of inferiority. Sometimes it's harder to have this conversation with the older generation because they're fine. They, they internalized it. Was it easier to talk to the younger generation and have that collective movement than the uh, older generation? Or what do you think? In fact, for me, it was it was easier to talk with the, with the younger ones, of course. And it was easier for me to talk with people in the capital, in Tunis, because I'm from the south of Tunisia, and in the south of Tunisia there is a big concentration of black of black persons. And I think that slavery left a big mark there. So I, when I wanted to talk about this in the in the, the, the south in the beginning, it was really difficult, and they were saying we are used to that, and this is our life, and we don't want to change it, and. But now it's changing everywhere because uh, because we are face we, we, we are putting the light on the, the racial aggressions um, and we talk about it in the television and we have the law so things are changing but in the south of Tunisia it was really difficult for me because because I think that slavery has gone but this. Uh, uh, link of dem- domination and this um, this precarity uh, of black uh, persons and they are they are they are um, always linked to the white ones for work and for everything and they don't own land so I think that uh, slavery was abolished legally but in the economic and um, and politics and the societal field, I think it's still here. So it was easier in the capital because black persons in Tunis were independent. And I found the people who are really interested and who want to work on the topic, the, the topic and who have many experience like mine. So yeah. Because I think in the south of Tunisia, we don't even think about having a relationship between white men and black women. So even the black families, they don't accept that we mix. So, so that's why in the capital, I think I found many cases like mine, because we had this opportunity to meet people and to have our own relationships. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. Hola, you define yourself as a feminist, right? Um, where do you place yourself as a feminist? Not that you have to. What do you feel more attracted to uh, or supported by? Um, Arab feminism? Uh, is there such a thing as black Arab feminist? Unfortunately, it's I don't place myself as an Arab feminist. I place myself in the way of thinking as an American feminist because I'm deeply involved in intersectionality and uh, all of these theories. And I'm really impressed by the Latin American feminists and their movement and their uh, anarchism. Even if we see my two movements uh, or the two movements that I'm, I'm 
involved in. The first is Falgatna, which is really inspired by uh, the feminist movement in Chile and in um, Argentina. And the other is a black of uh, it's a voice of black Tunisian women, which is really inspired by the, the theories of Angela Davis and uh, Bell Hooks and all of this intersectionality. And I think I don't and all of us we don't have a big link with the, the Arab feminists. But now I'm trying to place myself as an African feminist because I'm trying to connect with the feminists in other African countries. In North Africa, we don't have a big link with West and East and South Africa. So I'm having this reflection lately, why don't we erase a Pan-African feminist movement? Because I think that we are facing the, the same problems with the, the particularity of each context, but I think that we have to place ourselves as Africans because in North Africa, we are not so proud with our Africanity. And, um, and because, uh, for example, in, in Tunisia, they're always asking me if I am Tunisian every day because I'm black. So uh, questioning if I am Tunisian or not make me sometimes repulse my, Afri my Africanity. So I think we have many issues to talk about and our African identity is really, really important and we have to highlight it. So I now I'm in the uh, on my way of connecting with other feminists in other countries in Africa and I'm so glad that I'm in Dakar right now. So I will connect and I will have uh, more opportunities to have more contact. This is Women of the Middle East podcast doesn't take away from you being a Tunisian, by the way, you know, and you have every right to stand up and say, yes, I am Tunisian. You know, my skin color doesn't define, you know, there's no definition for a Tunisian. It doesn't say an Arab Tunisian, an Arab white Tunisian or an African uh, black Tunisian. On the contrary, you're, you're starting this conversation, which is very, very healthy for the younger generation who wants to still be a part of that national, right, um, definition. But at the same time, respect its hybridity. You you don't have one thing or the other. In fact, we are, we are trying to now to like have this conversation and Tunis, all the families know uh, their origins or know, for example, that uh, they are coming from a Turkish side or a Spanish side or Italian side. But for the black person, we don't care because somehow we don't have this pride of being from from another country, so this I, this identity issue we are now talking about. It. I think it's so important for us uh, as Tunisian women to realize that we are more than that, and to 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 like to focus on our identity. And because I think being proud or or accepting what we are is, is really important even for for our for our fight this is women of the middle east podcast
definitely 100%. And you start a, you're starting a very healthy conversation about identity. Now, you lead both domestic and international um, fights and campaigns again. Mm-hmm. Um, how is your message, messaging uh, being altered or modified for each? What do you say when you talk about racism in Tunisia and in uh, North Africa? And what do you say when you talk about it internationally? Do you have one message or do you alter your message according to the culture, the mindsets? No, in fact, it's so different because when, I, when, when we talk about racism in Tunisia, it's basically attacking the government and the state because the system of racism we are facing every day and we are seeing its effects on every field. And now we have the law it's good, we are so happy, we are so proud, but it's not applied. And um, the law mentioned that the state is um, is required to, to make uh, a campaign against racism on the, the cultural and the economical and the societal field. Until now, now it's uh, it, it has been three years and we didn't see any, anything. So our discourse is always pointing the state and asking for our rights. Because as the government had discriminated black persons in Tunisia, now I think that they have to de-discriminate them by pushing them from the margin to the center. And we, 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 we are waiting for this. We want this to happen and we don't see a big response from the state and from the decision makers. So when we talk in Tunisia, it's uh, either for mobilizing other communities about our cause or uh, to advocate for, for our rights. But when we talk in the international field, I think it's it's more about how we will build our capacity and how we will empower ourselves of the movement. We try to, to learn from other experiences, we, we try to share, to, to develop our ideas, to theorize, to have concepts. So it's so different, I think. And it, it requires different people because uh, there is some people of the field who will go in, um, in protest, who will track every mistake of the government, who will see, who will check everything. And there is other academic, uh, academician people who will write, who will make theories, who will who will discuss and we will develop, in fact, the content and the, our knowledge about our issue. So it's really so different, I think. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. Talking to the government and requesting the government to make sure that the law is practiced is something, but how would you change the culture? How would you change the mindset? How would you change people who don't, don't understand the practices that have been entrenched in their system? They don't, they don't understand that this is racism. They don't understand that this is discrimination. How do you talk to those people? Yeah, yeah. In fact, we try to explain, to explain, to explain. I think I spent uh, 50% of my lifetime explaining things when I go in a taxi. Sometimes I, I, I want to have to take a taxi and they think that I'm not Tunisian so so they don't want to take me and then I speak in Arabic and they accept so I'm there and I'm explaining so sometimes in fact we communicate um, 
communicate through social media to explain some theories because in fact uh, even small things where even when people tell you that you are beautiful and they're surprised because normally for them if you are black you don't have to be beautiful and uh, even for people who say can i touch your hair and they don't realize that it's something very annoying uh, because it happens like it's not normal. If someone asks me to touch my hair, it's just not normal, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not normal. <laughs> so, so in fact, we try to explain, and that's why we started this project about having a video to explain this kind of small mistakes to people and to explain how we take it and uh, what effect it has. Because, and I think it's something that has to be bigger than us. I think, and that's why I'm pointing, pointing the state because I think they have give like um, money for uh, filmmakers to have films about this kind of issues. They have to, uh, they have to support um, the, the visibility of black people in the screen, in the TV, in the, in the public spaces, in, in, in the parliament, in the government. We have, in fact, sometimes I don't blame the small citizen who just assume or just think that black persons are limited because they don't see them in power positions in the in the public space so i can understand somehow how they can think this way so i think we have our work to do our uh, as a civil society and the state have its work to do because it's so big and i don't think that we can make it on on uh, our own this is women of the middle east podcast no, and this is why I'm thinking in Tunis, we know that there is a robust civil society. You've got many women uh, organizations, feminist organizations. Why don't you join forces with them? Uh, okay, I, I agree, you know, Arab feminisms maybe failed to integrate um, Arab or, or, or Black uh, Arabs' voices and experiences, but the existing feminist organizations in Tunisia should be working closely with you yeah. uh, said if you starting from the scratch I, I and that's why in fact i'm really inspired by by intersectionality because now it's starting because uh, before the the, the feminist uh, scene was so white and uh, when i say white even i can uh, it was really inspired by the european feminism and we just want to copy this model and to put it in our society we don't even think about it so black persons and black women were really marginalized and in some associations i don't think that they accept black women with them so now it's changing this new movement and this new this new era of feminism in tunisia and i was so glad because when I, when we had the, the protest our last protest um, in tunisia it was really a big protest and it was this, the, the first time that other movement joined us 
Uh, usually we are only on our own. We are like for 20 person and we try to to raise our voices. In fact, it's new to join forces for us in Tunisia because before uh, every movement has its own work. So I'm optimist about that. That's good. That's good. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. Tell me, how can you educate the Arab speakers about the use of language? Uh, the, the use of language, of course, reinforces and perpetuates racism and racial discrimination. Given that we don't follow any forms of political correctness, you know, in Arabic. Mm-hmm. So, um, what would you say we could do to to watch our language, basically? What do you have any tips? I always correct gently when people say something attacks my uh, my community, uh, and sometimes people refuse. So I make some remarks, but not gently, to be honest. So, but but I think what um, the the tips that I have is that we have to try to change linking black with bad things because when we speak, we always if we have a bad day, we say we had a black day today. If there is something that we don't like, we say that it's a black. And if we try to to separate black with bad things, I think we, when we speak, our language will be less uh, less violent towards this community. And there is some words who are forbidden. It's so clear that we can't we can't, uh, we can't tell someone uh, slave or I don't know. It's so clear. But for sometimes there is. A small thing that we don't care about, but it's really, it's really marking. We had this a lot, even in songs and in in, in our uh, how to say patrimoine. Popular media, popular culture, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's everything, yes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can't even react because it's. It's so used by everyone, so you think that you are crazy if you want to raise. Uh, for example, we have a small payment in Tunisia, and it's called uh, the payment of the land of the slaves. Oh. And I, I, no one wants to change it, and we don't even, in fact, I don't even dare to ask people to change it because everyone is using it. Yeah. So I think. So so important that we point this and we say this is what it is. If you want to change, okay. If you don't want to change, but this is what it is. True, true. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. Tell me, you've talked about sexual harassment in specific, and I see mm-hmm. that um, I see your work is um, mainly at the intersection between the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matter movement. Tell mm-hmm. me more about that. In fact. Uh, being a woman in Tunisia and in uh, Arabic North African country, it's not easy. And being black either. So, um, in fact, being a black woman for us, having this combined discrimination together, it's really hard and I think it deserves a, a particular attention. Because uh, in the mind of of people in Tunisia, we are assimilate, We are always assimilated to sex workers or for people who have uh, a big appetite for, uh, for men and uh, 
they when they approach us, they don't approach us the same way that they approach a non-black woman. Because they they think in fact that they are welcome every day and every night and we don't have any selection and we will accept anything. And sometimes I walk in the street and they even they don't even call me, they just show me the money because they think I'm a sex worker. Because in Tunisia we have this. They say that sleeping with a black woman, it will cure all of your diseases. So yeah, yeah, and they believe it. And I remember when I was uh, when I was a teenager, 15-16 years old, they were asking me to cure their disease and they were really serious about it. Uh, in the mind of the society, we are, we are sex objects and it's really obvious and it's really big. So that's why I think that uh, sexual harassment for black women is the quality and the quantity, it's not the same for a foreigner, for a black woman. And they also know that the, the majority of black women are um, poor and they don't have, they don't know people in higher positions. So they are not scared about attacking them, about aggressing them. And we know that most of the black women work um, as maids and as housekeepers. So they are really, uh, in the position to to receive this kind of aggression. So I think that we have to put the problem in the table and to, to give it its real size because we don't want to talk it. And even feminists in Tunisia, they always say, no, all the women are, are facing harassment, but not all, not all the women are facing it the same way. And that's why, in fact, it was the, the first thing that um, triggered us to have this movement of black women because they didn't let us speak about our issues as black and women. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. But you've achieved a lot. Uh, yeah. In such a short time. Uh, do you sense that this change in global consciousness um, you feel uh, that racial justice has become integrated in the global call for social justice or is it a temporary phenomenon uh, do you do you feel do you have hope that this is going to go somewhere of course i have hope uh, otherwise i will quit everything no i have hope because going from there is no racism in tunisia to having a law against racism in tunisia it's really huge and people now they don't dare to, to, to say there is no racism in tunisia even if they still say it, but it's not, it's not the big majority. So I don't know if we will move as fast as we did before. I don't, I don't think so, because in the beginning it was really fresh and we were, and we gave all of energy to that. And we had facts to prove to everyone that we are facing racism. Now we are targeting the state and it's so different because changing the mentality and changing the, the society. It's a long process, we know this, we are aware of everything and we are not waiting for to see the results right now because it takes a long time. But our advocacy work, I think it's the hardest thing now because we have to protect the victims. 
even if the society will take 50 years to change, we have to protect people and we have to protect the, 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 the vulnerable uh, community from racism. And that's why I think it's so hard. It's so hard to, to be taken seriously from the police officer. It's so hard to convince the judge that, say, that telling someone you're a slave is a violence and it's not just a word. It's so hard for us to go into the system and to try to change it. I have hope, of course, but I think it will be so hard. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. Yes, but um, you're um, creating something that will be sustainable and will, be, um, will have long-lasting um, impact for generations to come. Um, you need to tackle it on multiple levels. You, you spoke about uh, knowledge production and that's important. Uh, reach out, mm -hmm. reach out to people who can help with this cause. And um, your cause is my cause uh, as a feminist. So uh, reach out to um, uh, feminists that you know could help on an academic level, studies, research, but also reach out to institutions and organizations who can help with awareness, uh, campaigns, mm -hmm. Uh, all of those things will make things move. Targeting uh, mm -hmm. the state only, yes, you have a, a law, which is good, but people's um, practices and people's perception needs to change as well. And this, this takes longer, but the impact is long-lasting as well. Mm -hmm. um, Khawla, I can't tell you how much I'm proud of you. Um, I'm very you happy so to have uh, talked to you today. Um, this is only the beginning for you, okay? Of course, you need to be hopeful. Um, sometimes um, we need to listen and we need to hear others' voices. Uh, sometimes we're just internally very occupied by our own. It doesn't mean that we don't care. Thank you so much. In fact, it's so reason to, to hear this after all the frustration that you are facing in all the fields. So I'm really, really happy to meet you, in fact. And I think that we will be working together, of course, because in fact, in our movement, we have, like, um, we, we are six founders. We have the activist one, we have the, 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 the artist ones, and we have the academicians. So there is this mix, in fact, I think that we will attack more than one field, and I think that we, have, we will be working together. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode. For discussion and feedback on today's episode, contact me via Instagram. For any ideas about collaborations, please contact us at wme at amalalmalki.com.